0: Hello, and welcome to the Furman Woods Contemporary Art Podcast. I'm your host and assistant director at Furman Woods, Jessica Harvey. This episode began as a straightforward discussion between Furman Woods director James Stevenson and David Blythe. David Blythe is an artist and course leader in contemporary art practice at Gray's School of Art, Robert Gordon University, Aberdeen. His work is informed by the craft skills of taxidermy and draws upon narratives of folklore, shamanism, and cultural memory. David's work will be included in our upcoming exhibition, The House Shall Be Preserved at Rockingham Castle starting 11th of July, 2021. So yes, this episode began as a straightforward discussion and grew into something a bit different. Inspired by David's description of his process, and the way he has trained his mind to make connections. All
1: right, step number one, 10,000 to go. Yeah, if I go around to the front of the house, there's a bit of stone that's been carved in and. Yeah, 1894, the Keeper's Cottage was built. Old Gamekeeper's Cottage. You, you pick something up that's sort of dead and injured and dirty effectively, you know, and you just want, want to sort of like restore and and can repair it, you know, and return it to some kind of, you know, acceptable position. I don't want to be no taxidermist, you know, I ain't no taxidermist. I've got no interest in eye gloss and and lip varnish and all that kind of stuff. I don't do that. It's just about some sort of reparation or something, you know.
0: Part one, I ain't no taxidermist.
2: I've always liked your description of yourself as an artist, where you say you like animals, art and people and you try and make work that helps them get along
1: better. It's no secret that my work really concerns itself with human-animal relations, you know. It it has done for many, many, many years. Um, I've always seen myself as some sort of advocate of animals, you know, to give voice or representation to a sort of silenced species. Um, And in taxidermy, you know, you know i came to that you know through my studies you know um, i realized it was a sort of really useful vehicle to sort of create encounters between the gallery viewer and the animal to sort of disrupt that sort of posture and elegance and of the sort of context of the gallery and to introduce something wild or feral um, into that you know so that engagement um with animals has, has been a sustained and and close relationship you know throughout my whole sort of career as an artist, whatever, if if you use those terms, whatever, but, um, you know, the funny thing is, you know, I, I think about, you know, back in the early sort of days, you know, the Stuffed Pet Rescue Centre, you know, my uh, my shed that I had, you know, that I set up, you know, as as a sort of charity, you know, to sort of care for sort of dead animals, you know, it was a sort of like restorative sort of service, I suppose, a, yeah, a public service that could provide some sort of afterlife um, for animals. Um, but the thing is about that, you know, um, taxidermy itself, is, it's a lonely business, you know, and all that sort of hanging around with dead animals and things like that, you know, it's, it's not always that healthy, you know, um, and there's a lot of time for sort of like reflection and, and, and sort of isolation there. Um, I see taxidermy almost as a form of necromancy almost, you know, and it allows the individual to sort of listen the more care that you put into it. You know, and in the 25 years, whatever, that I've, I've done it, you know, I've been pretty fortunate to learn from most of the wild species in, in the British Isles, you know.
2: So I wondered if we could explore that a little bit by way of um, the ideas of Scottish writer Margaret Elphinstone, um, specifically her, her TED Talk, which is um, it's called Speaking to the Animals About the Hunt. And in the talk, she uses the term go-betweens as, um, to describe people born with a particular sensitivity, um, maybe sort of, almost sort of shamanic, um, who speak to the animals about the hunt. And she thinks about contemporary artists as go-betweens and states that as we face an unimaginable future, we need people that can imagine. So it, does that resonate at all with you?
1: Yeah, it does have a resonance with me, but... I like, you know, shamans almost or something, you know. And I'm quite uneasy about, you know, when sometimes people refer to sort of my working practices and I sometimes lack confidence in, in using that specific term yeah. in a sort of professional context, you know. I don't know, it, it's a bit of a sort of, sort of contested role, I suppose, in sort of Western capitalist society or something like that. But Yeah, I think it's um, it's kind of
2: been um, trivialised, I think. But I yeah. think what's interesting about your work, I mean, all artwork, you need a bit of um suspension of disbelief to engage with the work but there's something about your work that I think that makes that easy.
1: Yeah you know I suppose you know the sort of label artist is probably the closest thing we've got in our society to perhaps understand or describe it is what I do you know it's probably somebody else's job to make that distinction you know I don't have to bother with that kind of thing you know. I'd like to think that I do sort of follow in some sort of traditional sort of great art shaman, you know, like, you know, Joseph Boyce, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, Paul Clade, Dubuffet, all that kind of thing. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of Jimmy Durham as well. Uh, he's, uh, you know, w- wonderful, wonderful uh, influence to me. And and but latterly also, like, you know, Marcus Coates as well, you know, he's very sort of interesting work, you know, coming from, from Marcus Coates. And, and equally, you know, it's quite curious, you know he sort of paints the shaman sometimes a you know, as a sort of allegy sort of type character, you know um and there's this whole sort of skepticism around that kind of you know perception and 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 portrayal of that sort of role yeah. you know but um yeah, yeah, some of his later works like you know question of movement, they're absolutely you know stripped back to to at essence you know really amazing thing pieces of work you know so but you know Margaret, you know she speaks about go betweens and you know that suggests a, a sort of movement of sorts i think you know and um, and maybe that's you know might even reflect some sort of balancing of scales the bargaining yeah. over sort of the natural order of things Um i read an interesting book on a um, by a gambin once um very thin book i like thin books you know and um, but it touches on these kinds of issues as well you know
2: yeah i think i think she says something like along the lines um um to imagine takes courage, so I was thinking, you know, you surrounding yourself with these dead animals, it takes a bit of courage to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know, sometimes been a bit of a sort of lonely mm-hmm. path, you know. That's so, so wary of that, you know, and 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 maybe a need to sort of withdraw from from society at at, at some points, you know, and uh, to withdraw from the world in order to to sort of carry out or perform or. To find quiet to listen, I suppose. I'm just going to go off, off track at the moment, you know, go down this little track so we can get down to one of the ponds.
0: Part 2 When two separate events occur simultaneously pertaining to the same object of inquiry, we must always pay strict attention.
1: It is about reading things, learning things, knowing things, and then trying to absorb them and forget them, so that they just become part of the kind of, just, the understanding, you know? And it's an intentional thing. It's... And I try to teach my students this, you know, that they're not illustrators. They're not about illustrating concepts of philosophers and that kind of thing. You know, it's not about art. It's not about that. You know, if they go beyond that, if they can, if they can can sort of consume and digest it and, and then embody it, I suppose, that's when they really understand it and can, can be, their work can be the thing, you know, and not just speak of the thing. I'm just
2: thinking of another sort of synchronicity with Margaret Elphinstone. So she's obviously, she's she's Scottish, and uh, her being Scottish has informed her uh, writing. Um, and it's been written about you that, you know, you, you, you ch- the material you choose to work with is often de- deliberately re- rural and, you know, particular to Scotland. So I wonder if you could maybe tell us a bit more about that. And mm-hmm. then, then I think that might maybe would lead on to how you came to work with Firmin Woods in
1: Corby, you know, Little Scotland. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a. It is an odd synchronicity or something, you know. A, a lot of this, you know. But like, I'd like to think that my work is actually a reflection of wherever I'm planted in the world. Actually, you know, it just turns out that that I've made for a life for myself in Scotland in Aberdeenshire, and the zeitgeist of this place, you know, just inhabits the work. Um, I wouldn't say my work is deliberately particular to Scotland. I, I. You would argue that it perhaps does touch on sort of like rural and remote. Themes, but curiously, you know, my vision, you know, what if, if whatever, um, is somewhat easily transplanted, uh, to Northamptonshire. Uh, there are a lot of similar currents I think exist down there, um, and we'll talk perhaps about yeah Corby, uh, in a, in a little while then. But I was actually born only a stone's throw away, um, yeah. in in Huntingdon, no less, you know. Yeah, so uh, my son. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, Curious, isn't it? Yeah. You know, my, my dad's family he comes from, you know, that land, you know. Um, and the stories of witches from Aberdeenshire and Northamptonshire, you know, they, they, they run true and parallel. Um, and my grandmother, you know, she was the witchy woman, um, you know, and she had a sort of morning hair ritual that, that I would, you know, when we went to stay with her, you know, I'd, I used to have to sleep on the sofa and, and you'd wake up at five in the morning and you'd see through the glazed door in the kitchen and she'd be there setting her hair oh my goodness it was wonderful you know and and you know so there there are a lot of sort of uh uh synchronicities and 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 mirrorings that i i have come across you know since uh coming to to corby northamptonshire you know yeah uh, i mean yeah.
2: i i think um the kind of synchronicity seems to come up a lot in your in your work um, I, th- I think it's something that you're kind of good at. Good at finding. It's almost a, it's almost a tangible thing. And I've seen that in um, some of your students at Grade School of Art, um, which I've no doubt is coming from you. You know, it's a kind of it's, a, it's that it's almost like you've got the ability to kind of make the universe unfold for you. I mean, I think in other artists, like maybe like Sarah yeah. Gillette, I've noticed has this kind of ability to yeah. th- kind of make these connections. And perhaps they're always there. It's just noticing them. Yeah. Um I don't know if you're maybe aware of that. Um and if, is that is there any intent behind it?
1: The method is difficult to explain. I think that's all really I can say, really. Um but it you know, it is a kind of all about like putting yourself in the right position at the right time, you know, and seeing it when it happens and yeah. recognizing. it. the being... what's the Twin
2: Peaks quote? It's oh. um <laughs> About like two things occurring, and you have to listen, something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, pay strict attention. You that's know. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that that's right. That that's uh, um, Agent Cooper, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 that's right. Um, it's it's funny though. You know, one of the things you know in in some of the research, you know, like Corby and that, you know, because I did a lot of research before I came, you know, and and uh, I didn't necessarily find the things I was looking for when I first got there um and and i've had you know three I'm, i've been there three or four times now you know um and and it's curious the more times i've come uh, I, I i'm kind of getting it more and more and and i sort of feel that and I sort of sense that um and just, there was a very good book by peter hill um sort of local sort of historian yeah. um, really wonderful guy by the way i've I've, read, I've got four four or five of his books actually they're really really brilliant But he he talks in one of the books about these sort of like geological fault lines, you know, these fissures in the rock, you know, that release gas, and he talks about you know this sort of like Oracle of Delphi, you know, and and that these perhaps these fault lines travel all the way up, you know, like you know through you know up Aberdeenshire whatever, you know, down through Corby whatever. It reminds
2: me of um, it's Bill Drummond calls it interstellar ley lines. You know that there's mm -hmm. these kind of connections, and then. Um, whenever anything happens somewhere, kind of, I think he called it something spiritually mega, whatever that means. You know, his, his example is um, there's a there's a manhole cover outside of um, the Canal Club in Liverpool where the Beatles first met. That's a kind of opening of these yeah. of this yeah. kind of this channel. But yeah, for sure, there feels like there's kind of something connecting. Um, I mean, it's historic with Corby. Obviously, people walked from Scotland to Corby for the steel. Uh, yeah, Bill Drummond, you know, from he grew up in Corby as well, and then he's well, kind of moved to Scotland again. So,
1: well, it's it's so interesting, you know, like like KLF has been in my life like all time, you know. <laughs> um, I remember when they kind of you know first started like releasing records, you know, I was that sort of age, you know. Yeah. Um, and I sort of didn't realise, but I always knew how significant they were and how they would be, you know. And and I, my first essay in art school even was. Was about you know when they dropped that sh- that dead sheep on Rachel White Reed, <laughs> you know when she won that prize you know and th- and that dead sheep you know, and you know Bill Drummond he's he's my favorite artist my anti artist you know, um, he's a wonderful man and and it was actually thinking about that actually that that I I just recently recalled like is that album you know called The Man you know Bill yeah. Drummond The Man it's it's a yeah unknown sort of masterpiece you know. Um, but they're curious, yeah. There's, there's several curious things around around Bill Drummond. Um, I'll tell you um, tell
2: you a story about Bill Drummond. Um, um, he, so he used to go to the school, Kingswood School, Corby. Um, eventually, that's where I went. At, at the time, that's where my my mum was at school. And um, I, I don't quite remember the details, but apparently, um, her her friend Norma, give her a, a shout out on the podcast, um, fancied Bill Drummond. You know, so they were going oh, up to yeah. Liverpool. For whatever oh, yeah. reason. Obviously Bill Drummond spent some time in his life as well. And um my mum went along on this school trip to Liverpool and that's where she met my dad.
1: Oh wow. So. What what really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. He he did actually come up um, when when we set up the the art, Arts Collective up in Aberdeen, um Limousine Bull, um he came up to do a talk actually at in our space. Um when he was doing the the smell of sulphur in the in the wind, mm-hmm. you know that project. You know it was it was it was great to, to have him sort of come on.
2: I'm sure I've um, crossed paths with Thelma Woods at some point. Um, we've been in, been in contact before, and um, he says that our geographical location has a special meaning for him.
1: Is that right? Did he
2: think say he that? A yeah, fish in yeah. or something like that.
1: Someone very close to me did say to me, actually of course David, you know, there is no such thing as coincidence, you know, that, that that's just a construct, you know, and I don't know what I understand or mean by that, you know, what, what she said when she said that, you know, she's no longer with us sadly, but you know, that sort of thing does sometimes frighten me um, with my work, you know, there's been these weird, odd encounters that I get, you know. Um, I think they're you know, going to tell us about the woodcock well the the woodcock thing was slightly kind of hot well oh horrifying in some senses right (laughs) you know because you know i'd been working on this project you know and and my neighbor you know he knocked on my door one morning and i I shouldn't have been there i should have been at work you know but i was happened to be at home and he knocked on my door and he was like look 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 what i've got for you and it was a living woodcock that he picked up on the side of the road 20 metres from my studio just along the road here and it it was it kind of like it horrified me actually you know scared me in a way you know because then i had the thing you know and it was a living in my you know and it was ill I, you know i phoned the you know the rspca you know the sspca you know to come and look after it you know and then because i couldn't tube feed it myself i don't know how to do that kind of thing you know so I thought, right, I'll I'll give it to the SSPCA. They'll feed it up, you know, and, and hopefully I'll maybe get it back even or help to release it or something, you know? Yeah. And uh, the very next morning, I didn't go to work. I went to the to the SSPCA, you know, half eight in the morning and they had ringed its neck. They didn't even bother to look after it. They just ringed the neck, you know? Oh man, I was so upset. I was so, so, so upset. I, you couldn't believe me, you know how upset I was, you know, um, but that was a weird sort of encounter. But then the like, la- is that the
2: first? Is that the first encounter?
1: No, 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 no. There's been multiple and yeah. repeated encounters with this bird.
2: I, I, I know, David, that I um, don't want to press the woodcock point. I know you're haunted by it, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's it's incredible, and it's kind of you know when I hear you tell this whichever Woodcock story it is, the kind of thing about, you know, suspension of disbelief gets easier every time. <laughs> did, I, did I remember right that the um, more, more or less coinciding with your 42nd birthday, you were presented with 42 Woodcock heads?
1: Uh, yes, that, like that certainly that happens all the time. You th- know? No, 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 that, that, that did happen and that has happened and I have still got some of the Woodcock heads still frozen here because I brought them down to firman didn't I? Yeah. You know, and, and that that did happen and that came from one of my students uh, Lindsay stewart her name is she was a mature student um who knew a local gamekeeper mm-hmm. and she knew about this project and she went and asked the gamekeeper if he had any and she gave him a bag like this it was, it was actually two bags it was the previous year's heads and and that year's heads and there was 42 heads in there it's bizarre, yeah. you know? Multiple things, you know, like weird things as well, you know, like it all first, well, you know, it all first started um, when I shouldn't have been at work again, right? I was covering for someone else and I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. And someone came in, One uh, Judy Spark it was, a, a tutor from Grays, you know, she came in, she said, oh, I found this lovely bird, you know, uh, dead sitting on top of a wheelie bin, you know, someone had put it on a wheelie bin. And she said, it was so lovely, David, I thought I'd pick it up, wrap it in my scarf and bring it to you, you know, at work. Didn't know if you'd be there, but I was, you know, and here's this woodcock, you know. And about half an hour later, 45 minutes later, somewhere like that, within the hour, I was taking a tea break and I got a phone call and it, it was ever so strange, it was a lady from the council and she, she said, oh, I'm looking for David Blythe, um, I've got a dead bird here, um, that and, and I know they do them. I was doing an exhibition at the time and I'd been in the newspaper. Right. And instead of phoning um, Aberdeen University and the Natural History Museum, they phoned RGU to me because they'd seen me doing this. Uh, it, it was actually an exhibition in the Natural History Museum, actually, in, in Aberdeen. And uh, they phoned me up at work. So I went down at lunchtime it was another woodcock, you know, and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, like two woodcock, you know, and it was ever so strange, you know, and I, I took them and got them x rays, you know, I, I did all sorts of things, you know, I contacted, and there was all sorts of things I did ar- around that, you know, I, I ended up buying woodcock for, for my Christmas dinner that that Christmas, and, and we had that, you know, following Mrs. Beaton's special recipe, all <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, there was a woodcock garter, I got a woodcock garter, a hunter's garter with all woodcock pin feathers in it, very odd, odd object, you know. Um, multiple sort of things, but the odd thing about it was, and I forgot all about this. It came much, much later that I'd, I'd actually known about the woodcock before, and it was years ago when I was a postie, and I remember a woodcock flying into the window as I was mailing, and landing by me, and I had that. And that was my first ever encounter with Woodcock, and it came years much later, you know? And then it kept on coming back around the same time every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there you go, it's kind of falling out of the sky, that's the universe unfolding for you right there. Well, it's it's strange, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you can find my work anywhere, though, you know? You can dig it up in some old um, Fendike, you know, down in down in Wisbitch or something, you know? Or, or some Oxbow Lake up here in Dinnet or something, you know? Um it it's there to be found, it's there to be seen and, and I think my my, my students, yeah, they, they do learn to sort of see things, you know. Um while while they're here at Grays in Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire as it were. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, t- sometimes I've seen it happen around you and it's kind of spooky. Like um I mean we had the conversations about your know, first ideas about Rockingham um, and game and hair coursing and all of that. And then of course you found the hair at
1: Farmingwoods. What, 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 you you were there that morning, but yeah. it, it, what was his name? Andy was it? Who who was yeah, there? Yeah, that's right, Andy Thorne? And that. you know it was no lie, was it? You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was it was weird, it was really weird. You know, and just for the for the listeners, you know, um, I I was just down for a few days, wasn't it? Really, and um, and on the morning that I left, I I had run out of. <laughs> I'd run out of tobacco the night before and I thought, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to go to the shop early in the morning in order to then get ready, whatever like that, so I can leave to come back up to Scotland, like that. So I was up early, it was up like half seven, eight o'clock, or, so, or about half seven, something like that. And I went out and here's this hare lying on the track, you know, just like lying there, so like breathing, you know? And it kind of, again, it frightens the hell out of me, you know? But then you realize, oh gosh, you know, and you like you start stroking it, you know, and and you know stroking its head and its chest, and it's just breathing there, lying there, you know, and I actually left before it took its last breath, right? I I didn't stay there and like stroke it till till it's die. I actually left and and give it its own space to sort of die, you know. I thought that was actually right to give it its own sort of space and time, as it were, Um we, we both should never have been there anyway. You know, that's the weirdest encounter of it all, you know. You, you and the hare? Me and the hare, yeah. Mm. Oh. oh, look what I found here. Oh, it's a... It's a hare's leg. It's, a fr- it's the front paw of a hare. Um, it's got the scapula, it's, it's got the arms attached, the, the, the bones attached, but the paw is, is still a furry little foot. That's funny. You do get hairs around here, but they're not that they're not that common. You now I've, I've found one or two dead ones just on the roadside before in the years I've been here, but they don't they don't seem to frequent around here too much. So I wonder where this has come from. I can't see anything around me. There's no uh, there's no remnant. What is this? I wonder if a bird of prey's brought here or something. Yeah, wonder. Seems to have just kind of like teleported from the sky I suppose. That's funny, I'll take that home with me in my pocket.
0: Intermission. The Legend of David Blythe. This is a story that has passed into lore at our organization. In February 2018, David Blythe and students from Gray's School of Art traveled to Furman Woods on a study visit from Robert Gordon University, Aberdeen. Whilst here, David led two alternative provision workshops for permanently excluded students from the CE Academy. During the school year, we pick these students up from the center, bring them to the woods and make art. Thursday morning, the only student present was unable to make eye contact or speak. He refused to leave the car, sat immobile in the back seat with his face obscured by his clothing. No gentle encouragement from adults made a dent. David approached the car with a tray of letterpress letters and asked the student to communicate using only them. Don't even try talking, just feel your way with the letters. This progressed to making full sentences, creating anagrams, and by the time the day was over, the student had created a whole table full of prints of his thoughts.
1: And he shook hands with all my students as well. He met them all. Yeah. And I said to him, look, they've, they've all come down here, they re, you know, they'd re, we'd really like to just meet you, you know, just to say hello, you know. And that by the end of the workshop, he did, he shook the hands, said hello to them all.
0: He had been given the power to communicate during this workshop, and after, the student continued to flourish at Furman Woods and at school. He is now the first student to return as a peer mentor, wanting to provide guidance and a good example to kids like him. He's actually written a letter to future students, which James shared with David here.
2: Dear dear student, my name is Sam, and I am peer mentor at Furman Woods. A couple of years ago, I started at Furman Woods just like you. My first opinion on Foaming Woods was good, because I liked the outdoors, so an immediate response was this looks good. Some of the workshops I liked, but some were not my thing, but I kept going with it because I realised there would be some workshops in the future that I'd like. There were a couple of weeks where I didn't like what we were doing, but I persevered. Through keeping going with it, I'm now a peer mentor. I got my Bronze Arts Award. I also sold work at an exhibition at the Alfredese Gallery in Kettering and won overall first prize for the best work in the Youth Open Exhibition. I enjoyed the electronic and technology workshops more. I liked the music workshop with Daniel Johnson, and the time we made those speakers with David Birchall. I learnt quite a bit. I learnt how to to use a DJ setup and stuff like that that seems basic and you wouldn't necessarily know about it, but it's actually quite simple once you've been shown. People might seem discouraged by it if it seems difficult, but it wasn't. The workshops opened up a door for me, I thought, I can have a go at that. It built my confidence. It made me feel I could achieve anything. Give it a shot. Students hear about Furman Woods at our school, but don't necessarily want to do it. Have an open mind. When I was there, there were people who didn't want to do it. But allow yourself to experiment and play and have fun. It doesn't matter if it goes wrong. Best wishes, Sam.
1: My goodness, eh? My goodness.
0: Incidentally... The next day, the car arrived and released a number of highly energetic students. It's a flock of birds, a herd of deer, and a chaos of students. David began that workshop by dropping a dead bird on the table. And that, Furman woods legend goes, is how you run alternative provision workshops. Part two, continued.
2: I wonder, I mean, that's kind of brought it right back to animals. If we could spin it off in a bit of a different direction. I'm just thinking, um, oh, yeah. again, the um, Margaret Elphinstone talk, there's a lovely, lovely section where she says she hears people talking about us being in the post-agricultural age, the post-industrial age, the digital age, whatever. Mm. And she says, what did you have for dinner? You know, <laughs> We're not really that far away from where we've always been. Yeah. And I think in your case, you're much closer to that but I'm quite interested, I've heard, you know, you're kind of making explorations into the digital world and I wonder what that means for you.
1: Right, right. You know, so, so you know, by means of the digital, I suppose, you know, we're talking sort of about technology, I suppose, yeah. you know, that kind of sort of thing, you know, and and yeah, I think the answer is yes. Um, I do need to have a bit of a sort of, you know, I I want to have a little bit of a sort of temporary pause on a few things just so I can, you know, expand my sort of knowledge and new exploration into to technology in some aspects top of my list though, James, is sort of astrological birth charts. Right. I, I, I want to, to learn that that skill, that technology, you know, and maybe a bit of tree of life, that kind of thing. A little, I need to look, know a little bit more about that kind of stuff. Um, But I've got, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a dad, you know, I've got two young teenage, uh, you know, I've got a teenage son and a teenage yeah. daughter, you know, and and we're going to do uh, a bit of raspberry Pi. And we're gonna get another deck, so we're gonna do some some decks. We're gonna learn some mixing. But my son, he really likes his music. Um, not that he plays music, but he likes, you know, early rave. You know, the, right? <laughs> you know, great stuff. You know, um. But but also like we've we've got a couple of um, headsets. You know, and VR VR goggle yeah. things. You know, and and I'm starting to get applications from my students, for new entry students, who are submitting through through VR in their, in their actual applications. So I kind of need to learn a little bit of gravity sketch and Blender, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I think I quite like AR more than I do VR, you yeah. know? I've always felt AR kind of like reduces the body and and AR is something that is more than the body in a way. You know, it's an amplified sense of the body. Whereas VR seems to limit some of the senses, you know? To enable other senses, whereas uh, AR is is extends the body or something, uh, 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 something about that for me, um, it's it's a it's a bit of a, a hurdle or a stumbling block with that, that goggles and stuff.
2: Yeah, um, I wonder know. if there's anything there with. Um, there's a guy called Jaron Lanier who's one of the sort of Silicon Valley pioneers of VR, um, probably in the eighties. You know, and um, he's written about kind of what it feels like to have a um an octopus tentacle as a hand yeah and suddenly you kind of develop in yeah. these new synapses because it's convincing enough that your brain starts to register you know it's like a ghost limb right. yeah um yeah. so mm. that kind of other ways of knowing the animal it might come through yeah digital
1: oh that's really quite interesting you know because okay i i, I, I I've got like medical books on amputation, all that kind of sort of stuff, you know, and, and with a certain knowledge of taxidermy, and then just kind of, you know, being a haptic person myself, you know, yeah. I, I, you kind of get a sense of, of how things work, and you know, I'd love to know what an octopus's tentacle felt like. Did <laughs> the deer come here? You see. I'd just come back from a, a trip I think, down to Wiltshire or something like that and he'd been down there skinning some deer so it's like a skinning workshop or something you know and I kind of thought straight away oh this is my kind of guard you know it's funny you know because like you know the deer you know it has been a bit of a totem animal guide sort of mad. I don't know what you want to call it for me anyway you know and uh, James, you know, it's so fleet-booted as well, you know, I just sort of thought it was funny, yeah. I we both, uh, recognize something special about that relationship between man and deer.
0: Part 3. Crimes Against the King's Venison.
2: I think you said to me before something along the lines basically you consider that our cultural cues are no longer working so we need to listen to nature more to navigate a more successful path um, yeah. so maybe you could elaborate a little bit on that and I'm also thinking about um, some of the work you've been developing about kind of game feeding the house at Rockingham out of our forthcoming exhibition this year
1: the thing is about sort of listening to nature I suppose you know it, it is a two-way relationship it is about the 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 l- the listening you know and 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 what's sort of emitting the sound as well you know and um, and for me as a listener i would have said you know there's there's this sort of thing that i kind of as much as i'm an academic and and you know i'm course leader or whatever like that you know i i'm i'm interested in this idea of estrangement as a strategy and um, perhaps to know less you know and or to experience wonder or something like that you know, and it is a concept, you know, it is a creative strategy that other artists use um, and almost by, you know, adopting, um, you know, an animal perspective, you know, in order to see things differently. Um, and, you know, I've, I've got a little quote here from um, an essay by Carlo Ginsberg, and it says, you know, at the very core of the notion of estrangement is the sense that to understand less, to be naive, to be surprised. These, these things can lead one to see more, to see something deeper, something closer to nature. You know, and, and, and I think there's something about that. And, and, you know, it's almost like the sort of, that sort of distancing from the human perspective, you know, it almost sort of recalls the sort of temporal states of otherness that sort of, it's like consistent with shape magic, you know, mm-hmm. from sort of hunter magic, you know, early hunting cultures, and um, where a sort of shaman's world is witnessed through the eyes of, say a totem animal, or a or a guide that might assume a sort of animal form, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And leading on to Rockingham, you know, you know, it's it's been a really interesting sort of project, obviously, to sort of work on, you know, and and you know, I suppose, you know, I've I focus on the sort of hierarchy of the sort of forest law, and the and the sort of appointment of the sort of officers to sort of like you know govern the 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 forest and and sort prevent sort of poaching and. And uh, wood theft and that kind of thing, you know. And I've I've got into all the sort of different symbols of the offices, you know, the the sort of verderers and regarders and the adjusters, you know, who set the sort of grazing taxes and and sort of panage, panage taxes that kind of thing, you know. Um. So I've been sort of enjoying that, you know, and um, and being interested in in the sort of, uh, you know, rights of rights to common land, you know, and throughout the sort of you know history of Rockingham Castle that that sort of rights of way of, are, are not permitted at certain times. And there's a, a ban on goats, you know, cause they're not good for the deer and, and you know, chopping off like dog's claws so they, that they can run, they run a lot slower. Yeah, so I, remember, they I remember
2: the painting in the castle.
1: Exactly, you know, that, and, and that hopefully will feature in, in my exhibition, you know. Um, so there's all sorts of things around that, you know, and, and I, I just sort of imagine myself in, in that world and, and the challenges and difficulties of raising a family um, that would lead me to sort of poaching and crimes against the king's venison you know <laughs> um and i think some of the work that um, i'm going to present at rockingham uh explores some of these narratives you know
2: yeah yeah, yeah. i guess um mentioning what kind of alternative forms of listening um, Yeah. so it's, it's it's perhaps not just the animals it might be the kind yeah. of um i don't know if it's gamekeepers or um Kind of these people that have that relationship already.
1: Well, well, perfect, perfect, James. You know, I, uh, you know, because because really, you know, what what sort of forms of knowledge and expertise can we really call upon in order to listen to the animals? You know, it is the gamekeepers, the farmers, the gillies, the trappers, and the poachers. It's it's those kinds of people. You know, um, it's not enough that we get our knowledge from natural history TV. <laughs> I, I don't think so. You know, and I came to some of this animal stuff. You know human-animal relationships is, is, is such a big thing anyway, you know, and, and it's taken so many years to try to sort of unpick it, at some of that. And I kind of came to some of this through a sort of institutional critique of natural history museums, you know, um, and as almost like urban sites of knowledge, you know. they're they, You know, they've got responsibility there to sort of like promote and, and activate and a sort of appreciation for the natural world or something, you know. And uh, I suppose my goal you know, partly with with the taxidermy and and museum display, you know, was to sort of breathe new life into the museums. You know, to sort of enliven that experience for for visitors and and to provide sort of sufficient answer almost for all the sort of you know dead animals and mutilated dissections and jars, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. to explore that sort of afterlife. You know. Yeah. I don't know something about like you know bringing a family up in Rockingham and a sort of series of confiscations almost that have been made um from people who live in rockingham you know and um, you know not ingenious devices or anything like that but just but just kind of like you know traps and lures and 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 the strategies that that you might use and employ to kind of like you know raise a family you know feed a family um in rockingham you know and and, and that, that that goes from like hunting game but but it also like moves to like you know the, the, the King's golden truffles and that kind of thing, you know? And I want, you know. I've got a week off next week and I want to make a couple more things, you know, um, that are unexpected to me now. You know, I don't know what they're going to be yet, but I know yeah. I've still got the time between now and June to do something that's going to excite me even and surprise me, so so I I'll, I'll look forward to that. Well, oh. oh, There's actually someone here. I better not go f- any
0: farther. Thank you for listening to the Furman Woods Contemporary Art Podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to positively rate, review, and subscribe on your Podcatcher. It helps other people find the podcast, and it makes us feel good about ourselves this episode of the Furman woods podcast is supported by arts council england and a grant from local giving and postcode places trust a grant giving charity funded by players of people's postcode lottery this episode features music written by john dowland and performed by dr philip w cerna made available under the creative commons attribution ShareAlike 4.0 international license there's a link to the full piece in the episode notes also at the link in the notes are images of David Blatt's work and a link to the Margaret Elphinstone TED Talk mentioned by James and David. Visit firmanwoods.org for more on our program and to sign up for our monthly email newsletter. Follow us at Furmanwoods on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you back here soon.